0: I'm curious, when you um, think of Noah and the ark, what association do you have? Uh, I suspect for many of you it's church nurseries. I mean, is there a church nursery anywhere in the United States that doesn't have a marvelous mural painting of all the cute little animals and the rainbow over the top of the ark. And for most of us, at least, when you start to raise your children, just about the first baby book that you buy is what? Noah, the sweet, sweet story of Noah and the ark, with all those lovely animals. Well... (laughs) That's not too close to what Arlene just read to you in the Scripture, is it? And, and actually, I got thinking about this as I was preparing this week. We are together, for those of you visiting this morning, we are, we are doing a study week by week, both on Sunday mornings, but also in our home groups, of what we call God's big picture. That is, what is, the, what is the larger story of the Bible? There are stories within the grand story. And last week, we looked together at chapter 3 of Genesis and the story of the fall. And for that story, I felt it was very necessary that we almost go word by word to understand just exactly what happened. Because it's part of uh, that larger story. Well, I was reflecting on, on Noah and the flood for this week, which was kind of my assigned uh, task, and uh, it occurred to me that that probably the details of Noah's ark is not something that we need to, to concentrate. Actually, we were talking about it in a staff meeting, and after I gave out some of my thoughts, uh, Jeff asked me, said, Steve, do you still want to call this Noah? And, um I said, then, yeah, let's just leave it that way. If I was going to retitle this the the message this morning in terms of what I really hope that you'll think with me about, I would call it prologue Prologue. I think we know what we mean when we say prologue. If you're reading a book very often, the author will start you off by giving you some information that is not directly applicable to the story, but you need to know it in order to get the big picture, to get the story. And that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is. It's really prologue. It's a grand sweep of history so that you can really get down to brass tacks with Abraham. And uh, those of you, and I hope it's most of you who are in home groups will be kind of re-engaging with Abraham this week, Uh, next week when Dwayne preaches, he's going to be speaking to you about about Abraham, because that's where this big story in terms of a detailed unfolding really begins. Now the big story is really that God has come to rescue us from the mess that we've made of our world End of our lives. And the quick version of that story is simply that he sent his son Jesus to be our Redeemer. And let me say, if you're a beginner this morning, and this is all new to you, this church stuff and this Bible stuff, that's where you ought to start. Uh, I mean, knowing the ark is great, but just go to Jesus. Uh, read the Gospel of Mark, Get introduced to Jesus. But what we're doing is sort of getting a bigger picture, because in fact, if you enter into relationship with someone, one of the first things that happens as your relationships get serious, right, is you want to know about the family. Okay, it's been great getting to know you, but I don't think I really know you until I know more about your family. Give me your history. Tell me your story. And that's where you go back to Abraham. And you even need to know some stuff before before you get to Abraham. And so I want to make sure uh, that there's several things that we I just sort of spell out for you in order to, to uh, help you develop this relationship. Um. God created the world by the very word of his mouth. He simply spoke it into being. And he said what? It's all very good. Included in that very good creation was, was man. Although he did say it's not good for man to be alone, that first negative statement in the Bible. And so he created man and woman in his own image and brought them together, one flesh, gave us marriage and, and and a paradise which man promptly made a mess of as we looked at last week in the fall chapter 3 and uh, you don't have to know where this goes by you don't have to go very far to figure out where this goes because the very next chapter is Cain and Abel how's that for starters in this beautiful world that God made, a man kills his brother, and it goes. It gets worse from there. But before we kind of dig into that, and I want to come back to that, if you're going to understand the story, and this is why I want you to have a Bible open and to look at with me, it's very easy to miss what may be, in fact, the most significant thing that we're to learn from this prologue. It's chapter 4, verse 25 after the incident with Cain and Abel. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now that word offspring should jump out because in the, the fall, God immediately said to Eve, I will give you an offspring who will crush the head of Satan, who will crush the serpent. Of course, Eve obviously assumed that was her son Abel, but it wasn't. And so she says, God has given me another offspring. Already, already we're beginning to anticipate the coming of a Redeemer. It's right here in chapter 4. And in fact, if you'll keep reading, and every time there's another division in the book of Genesis, it starts this way. This is the book, I'm reading chapter 5, of the generations of Adam. This is the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created him. That hasn't changed. And he blessed them and named named them man or Adam when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, whose line does it now begin to trace? Notice, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And for the rest of chapter 5, we're tracing out the line of Seth until you come to Noah. And then the passage that Arlene started with uh, this morning is chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, then the story of the flood. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But look look at chapter 10, if you have an open Bible. And just turn ahead. I want, to, I want you to see how this is carefully traced out for us. This is part of the story. Chapter 10, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so two of the sons, Japheth and Ham, it's really sort of all the nations spreading out. There's a, an explanation of who they are. But which son of Noah are they particularly interested in? It's Shem. We, from that we get the word Semite, by the way. And this is Semitic peoples. Verse uh, chapter eleven and verse ten. These are the generations of Shem. And it traces out several generations of Shem until you come to a man named Terah, verse twenty six. When Terah had lived seventy years, he fathered Abraham or Abram. Nahor and Haran. And then the repetition again. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, as well as Nahor and Haran. So it's sort of like a subplot, but it's almost maybe the main thing that you need to know from the prologue. It's the first thing that I want to point out to you. And that is simply that God has a plan to bring a Redeemer into the world who will ultimately be the name of Jesus. And it's going to be, he's also called a, a son of Abraham. And how do you get from Adam to Abraham? Well, this prologue traces it out for us. And who knows how many thousands of years it covers. But that's the first thing that the prologue tells us. The second thing that you're going to learn as you study the prologue is that, is that sin is unbelievably ugly and destructive. Because, folks, we need a Redeemer. Not because we've made a few mistakes in life. Not because we've stumbled a few times. but we are absolutely a mess. So I said if you go back to chapter 4 fresh out of the garden with all of its beauty and benefits and blessings Cain kills his brother Abel. You can read these stories you already have in your in your home groups. So I won't go into the particular details. I just want to call it to your attention because not only does Cain kill his brother But keep reading, God comes to Cain and says, that's right, I will take care of you, Cain. And Cain says, no thanks. Verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Not only do we go our own way, but we say, I'll take care of everything, Lord, I'm fine. Well, it wasn't fine. And a grandson of Cain's named Lamech brags about the fact that if you think Cain was mean, I want to tell you something. Somebody bumped me and I killed him. And the pattern of these these early chapters of Genesis seems to be that sin unhindered Inevitably gets worse and worse and more and more destructive and all consuming. And it will devour people in violence, in greed, in hatred, in lasciviousness. Not a great word. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but it sounds like. Sexual stuff. And you get to chapter 6, and something something nasty goes on between the sons of God and the daughters of men. And in, and in the end, God says, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and notice this, And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. For the text that we read earlier, verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. This is what we call human nature. And what other labels they put on? Man's inhumanity to man. But friends, if we've missed the point, understand that if sin is not restrained, and we're not talking just about the days of Noah, we're talking about right now, aren't we? I mean, what happens when, when, when the police power is broken and there's no authority anymore in a culture? Does everyone sort of go home and say, well, let's take care of each other, and they walk hand in hand down the street? Not on your life. The moment, it seems, the power to restrain is broken. Looting, destruction, violence takes place. And and you can look out there, but the fact is it's right in here. I dare say almost all of us, right? I'll have to speak for myself, honestly, to discover the depths of hatred that I'm capable of, the depths of evil. Now thankfully, I don't always do that. I don't I seldom do that, but it's there, isn't it? And this is the world in which we live. We, I know it's not very nice. I know I'm not being positive, I'm sorry. Naughty, naughty! I should be building up your self-image. I should be making you feel good about yourself. Isn't this what religion is all about? I'm a little cynical, but I was I was at a preaching conference actually at Westminster Seminary this this week, and the pastor who was visiting, telling us all how to preach, um, mentioned the fact that as one of the jobs that he had and. Preparation for uh, while he was going through school and so forth, was that he was an, an addiction counselor for some community organization. And he said, of course, he had all the training that they had to give him, and he learned how to help people build up their self-esteem, how to help them understand that it really isn't their fault that they're addicted, they're victims of this or that or the other thing. And he said, I finally, to be honest, just finally got sick and tired of all the happy talk. And I was sitting with a group, and I said to them, let's put aside the script. And friends, if if God were to look at you and, and to tell you what he thinks of you, what would it be? And he said, one guy got up and picked up a piece of paper and crumpled it up. And stomped on it on the ground. He said, that's who I am. And that was just the beginning as they went around and began to talk honestly about how they, how they felt about themselves. Ooh, that's not nice. But, you know, interestingly, that's the place where healing starts, isn't it? And, and until we are willing to honestly deal with the depths of our own sin far and away, as best I understand it, some of you no doubt can correct me if I'm wrong, but the single most effective addiction program that has been in existence in the world is called Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd be surprised in a group this size that some of you aren't part of that. Or perhaps you've been in in Narcotics Anonymous or Al-Anon or Alateen or some other some other one of those 12-step programs. But where do they start? They start by saying, I am absolutely a mess, and I can't help myself. The only thing that will help me is a higher power. And they've secularized it to say a higher power as you understand him, but as I've spent time with people, in AA and other people, they say, we all know what we mean by a higher power. <laughs> it's God. Okay, this is not simply the prologue, but the ugliness and the destructiveness and the power of sin just screams out at us when we go through these early chapters of Genesis. And we've got to get that straight, or we won't understand why we, re- why we need a Redeemer as badly as we do. But in fact, that is the case. Third, the God who created us, who loves us, who walks with us, who created us to be in communion with him, who is long-suffering and patient and kind, is as well a God of justice and judgment. And there comes a point when God says enough is enough I'm finished and judgment falls that's the story of Noah and the ark isn't it I'll let you again read the story and take in the details and there are some beautiful aspects to it to be sure but what the what we need to understand as we get into the the deeper aspects of of the story is what is right here in verse in chapter 6 was read to you before verse 13 and God said to Noah I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them behold I will destroy them with the earth I mean, here it is. God says to the very humanity he created, that's it. We're finished. Well, in fact, they weren't finished. God was still a merciful God. But if if you don't, if you aren't able to incorporate within your understanding of God the fact that there does come a time of judgment, you really don't understand the God who reveals himself in this book. And the judgment comes in the form of a flood. Now, again, there's all sorts of questions. I was on a website this week that, that showed me pictures of Noah's Ark up in the Mount Ararat. and the Scholars argue, was there a flood that literally... Could it have absolutely covered the entire earth, or did it cover that section of the world? When did it happen? What was it like? Yada, 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 yada. We've said before we're not going to try to answer questions that the Bible itself doesn't try to answer for us. The Bible wants to speak very specifically to the nature of God. And he is a God of justice and judgment. Water, yes. You look at Romans chapter 1, for example, in the form of judgment there, it says, as God looked at the, at the culture in which Paul was living, and it got more and more and more decadent and violent and greedy and ugly, it says God gave them over. That's a terrible picture. It's not necessarily in, in the active sense of God smashing people. He just says, okay. Because as we'll see in a few minutes, God makes a covenant to take care of unbelievers as well as believers. God is a merciful God. But you push it far enough, and I don't know where that line is crossed. But you push it far enough, and God says, okay, you want want to go your own way? You say you're okay without me? You don't really need me after all? And you're determined? Absolutely determined? Okay. Go ahead and of course the result is even more devastation and destruction and at some point in the future for god says i won't send a flood on the earth again but he is going to send his fire and you read a chapter like first peter or second peter chapter 3 and it's fire that is going to purge the earth and prepare it for the new heavens and the new earth Well, I want to say again, this aspect of God as a God of judgment is here in this prologue, and we need to get it, and that's precisely what we're taught by the flood. Let me add one more truth, two more things I want to say about the things that are are taught to us in this prologue. The same God who sends judgment upon this sinful, broken world is a God who makes and keeps covenants. And when we get to Abraham next week, and and in fact, after that Moses, and after that David, that's the next several messages, we're going to be saying a lot more about the covenant and the idea of covenant. But the fact of the matter is, God... Almighty, ruler of the universe, sovereign judge also comes to people like us and enters into covenant, unbreakable covenant. And we promptly break it, (laughs) but God doesn't. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. That's the new covenant. You see, all this covenant language. And so if you're going to understand the story that's unfolded throughout the Bible, you need to get a hold of this idea of covenant. God commits himself to us. Here's the language in the text that was read to you. Look at verse 18, chapter 6 and verse 18. But I will establish my covenant. With you, and you shall come into the ark with your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And then after the flood, the actual establishing of the covenant takes place. Again, with if if you have open Bibles, turn ahead to chapter eight, verse twenty. The Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of the, every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nothing's changed in the heart. God acknowledges that. We continue to be fallen, sinful people, and it comes from the very beginning of our lives. That's the other scary thing about this whole nature of sin. Again, not one of these pleasant things we want to talk about, but we call it original sin. And, of course, every one of us, is, when we're young parents, say, Well, I, I don't know about this original sin business. I see the Putmans back there, and they're they're saying our little cherub. No, that's right, that's right. I mean, here's the exception to the sinful nature, but I'm I hate to tell you guys, but there's going to come a point where that little angel of yours is going to look you in the eye, and it's going to say, "No." And you're going to say, where did that come from? Well, we know where it comes from. It comes from within. It's rooted deeply in our very natures. God help us. But you don't have to teach kids how to sin (laughs) or maybe you're the exception but that wasn't my case but you do have to restrain that's one of the gifts that god gives to restrain the corruption that is within everyone and that's parents families and god said i know that the intention of man's heart is even reading verse chapter 8 and verse 21 again is evil from his youth Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I've done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Ch- jump over to chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him. There's another theme that you're going to see repeated over and over, and that is it's not only God making covenant with individuals, but with generations, with families, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature and so forth. The word established covenant literally means cut. And so one of the marks of the covenant is it is it is sealed with blood. The blood of sacrifice, the blood of the animal. And there's a sign of the covenant, a, a physical demonstration of the truth of the covenant. And as you read on, you learn here, in this case, it's a rainbow. The rainbow is a natural phenomenon, and yet, uh, in fact, it is a joy. Every time you see one of those beautiful rainbows, to be reminded God has said, I keep my promises. He's a good God. Now, this covenant... Won't say any more about it now. But this covenant is specifically given to all of creation, not just to those who believe, not just to the chosen people. And one of the, this is the last thing I want you to see, as we as we kind of have looked out over this prologue. But one of the aspects of the covenant is there in chapter nine. As God said, all of the world is yours. Something essentially repeats much of what he said to Adam. But he says in verse 5, And for your life, blood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoso sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And we really are introduced in this prologue to what we call common grace. It's a term you should be familiar with. Special grace is that grace which actually brings salvation. But God God is good to all people. He sends the rain upon the just and the unjust. And thanks to God... The sin that would absolutely destroy us and destroy our culture doesn't always live its life out to be that way. There are restraints. And one of those restraints is, in fact, what we call police powers. The fact that hopefully some people will not murder because they know they're going to have to be called to account for that. And they themselves could be killed for that. God gives that authority here. I'm not here to prove capital punishment and that whole argument. I'm just saying that God, in his grace, and we call it common grace, grace for all people, through through the police, through armies, holding back the corruption that would absolutely destroy the earth, that's part of the goodness of God. Even unjust governments, the Bible teaches, are, are instruments of God. There are things worse than unjust governments. We call it anarchy. And and just look at, at a culture, all these revolutions that are going on, celebrating in the news the, the Arab Spring. Whole new day for so many Muslim countries. But you take away the existing power, unless you replace it with with authority, it's going to turn into chaos. And after a while, people cannot stand chaos. They'll take a dictator, they'll take they'll take a Saddam Hussein, they'll take the Taliban, if it'll deliver me from chaos. So God has given us by His grace, common grace to hold back. The nature natural effects of sin. Thanks be to God for His common grace, but folks, we need special grace we need a savior dear noah <laughs> comes out of the he's delivered from the flood he gets off the ship plants a vineyard and does what gets drunk what are you going to say people go out into the world and god says i will never again set a, send a flood but they people say that's not enough We're going to take care of ourselves, and they build up what they call the Tower of Babel. Many interpretations of that, my own view is that they're saying we're not going to get caught again. Next time God sends a flood, the fact that he said he won't send a flood doesn't make a bit of difference. We're going to take care of ourselves. We don't need God. Oh, friends, we do. We need need to be rescued. We need salvation. We need a Redeemer means we're jumping way ahead, but that Redeemer is Jesus. And and let's come now and celebrate and give thanks for the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you determined that you would rescue us from the mess that we have made of our world and of our lives. We can't fix it, and we've tried, but it doesn't work. But you determined to send your own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be that Redeemer. And so as we gather now around this table, we humbly receive what has been given to us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified now in our lives. Give us a realistic understanding of who we are and of our need. But then give us faith to trust ourselves totally and completely to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen.